the Getting Better Now podcast, presented by the Golf Business Network, the show by golf professionals for golf professionals, profiling experts from inside and outside the golf industry to help you advance your career, make a lasting impact, and achieve your goals. Here's your host, PGA professional from St. David's Golf Club, Dean Candle. For many PGA professionals, getting that first head professional position is a major focus in their career. It's what they're striving for, and many of their career decisions are based on accomplishing that one goal. For those that reach that position but still aspire for more, what can you do to continue that upward trajectory of your career? Our guest in this episode has made that jump. Kevin Muldoon is the director of golf at the beautiful and exclusive Jupiter Hills Club in Florida. During a successful stint as the head professional at the Country Club of York in Pennsylvania, Kevin was likely in a position that many of you are striving for, the one that you could remain in for years and maybe for your entire career. But as he tells us, his desire to continue his career progression and to expand his experiences led him to seek more. So what was he doing to prepare himself for this new position where he's doubled his levels of responsibility and is now leading twice as many team members? And what challenges was he facing as he stepped into his job? We get into that in this episode. In addition, now entering his second season in this new position, he's overseeing over 15 PGA professionals or apprentices every day. We find out how he's managing and leading such a large staff, while still giving each one of them the mentoring and focus that they need to succeed in their careers. So here's our conversation with Kevin Muldoon from Jupiter Hills. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Kevin Muldoon, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good, Dean. How are you? Um, here in sunny Florida, uh, probably getting a shower any, any moment now, but uh, right now we're, we're rocking and rolling. So it's about like 97 or 98 today in Philadelphia with 100% humidity. So we're in the middle of a heat wave, but that's like, that's every day for you right now, isn't it? That's true. But uh, I'm learning, people say, why did you move to Florida? But I'm finding out it's just as hot up north. You know, my couple of times visiting that it is down here. So I'm, I'm getting happier and happier about my, my move as we go along. So yeah, you're certainly not missing much up here weather-wise, as yeah. you know, from yeah. From all your time up north, so just got um, so to stay away from a hurricane. Yeah. yeah, I guess you're coming up on that season. So, didn't you move down there in the middle of a hurricane last year? I did. I started my position here as a director of golf on uh, September 1st, and I think a couple of days later, I was sleeping in my office as it was the safest place versus my uh, accommodations through Airbnb. So, uh, and it worked out well. So. Yeah, so welcome to Florida. So you got the whole taste of it right off the bat. So you knew exactly That's what right. you'd gotten into. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So thanks for having me on the show, by the way. Yeah, this is. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to chatting with you about the new position, uh, about your career. I think it'll be great. So why don't we start with talking about a little bit about Jupiter Hills for those of us that don't know a whole lot about the club. Tell us about you know the size of the club, the volume, what kind of rounds you're doing, your staff makeup, and uh, what's kind of unique about Jupiter Hills. Sure, you know we're you know when you when you talk about Florida, you don't generally have the same history that you may have at a you know say a Marion Golf Club of 1896. But here at Jupiter Hills, we do have uh, we're coming up on our 50th year. 
anniversary uh, this coming season. So we do have some history here. It was the I always think you know the history is a is an important part of the story here and a, an important part of the experience. You know if you're telling the members and guests. So it was the vision of uh, George Fazio, who for those that don't know lost in you know playoff of the U.S. Open in 1950 to Ben Hogan. But uh, George, a couple other mm-hmm. founders who are big names like William Clay Ford. Bob Hope and a Bill Elliott, who's a Philadelphia guy, Philadelphia life out out near your way. They were the founders, but I always think that the neatest dis- distinction here, the club that uh, really guided us, is you know three generations of the Fazio family. So we have two courses here. So it's a thirty-six hole facility, the Hills Course. Um, again, the vision of George uh, Fazio, but uh, his nephew Tom, who's you know legendary architect. That's really re- where he got his start here at Jupiter Hills. You know, right. He spends a lot of days in the locker room, uh, having a few drinks in the locker room, maybe four or five days a week. But this is his baby. You know, this is his pride and joy, Tom's. And the two of them helped build the Hills course. And then Tom really, about 10 years later in 1979, built, uh, was a large part of the village course. So it really got a start in, in the world of architecture here at Jupiter Hills. And then, uh, interestingly enough, last summer, uh, we redid the village course, and uh, Tom's son, who's essentially now taking over the business, their offices are right across the street. Logan, Tom's okay. son's Logan, helped redo the village course. So it's kind of a, a really special place. We sit on a magnificent piece of property uh, built on sand dunes. You know, it's a, the highest point in southeast Florida. You don't really – you come here and you go, wow, this is Florida? I mean, the 50 right. f- feet of elevation on some holes is kind of neat. So a busy club. Um, you do about 35,000 rounds of golf. So we are active, but it is a golf club. Mm-hmm. We do have a fitness center, but you're probably never, well, at least maybe not in my lifetime or yours, Dean, have a pool here or, um, or tennis courts or anything of that nature. So we're, we're about golf, but also there's some you know interesting social aspects too as well. So spe- special place and uh, it's pretty exclusive as well. Yeah. So sounds like that's pretty cool to have history, like you said. That's not necessarily what you get too much in Florida. So, and certainly having that lifeline of the Fazio family there is something unique. Definitely. So that's pretty cool to be able to tell yeah. that story. Yeah, we actually have, and which is interesting, we have actually have in our bylaws that, you know, really no blade of grass or, you know, contour can be uh, touched without um, approval from our architects. And we know who that is here. So it's kind of a neat feature. They're, they're involved with every change to the golf course. Um, so certainly, again, an interesting distinction here at Jupiter Hills. Awesome. Pretty cool. Why don't we talk a little bit about, we're going to get into a little bit more about the job there, uh, some of the challenges that you've had and, 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 and faced in your first year there. But let's talk a little bit about the path that you took to get to Jupiter Hills, because I think that's definitely interesting. Uh, and you have uh, a really strong career path to look back on. So uh, take us back a little bit through the different steps of your career and how you ended up at Jupiter Hills. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously like, like many of the, the kids nowadays, I went through the professional golf management program. I'm at the Methodist university, but uh, that led me to uh you know, one thing, realize you, you needed to work at the best places and work for the best people, but uh, ended up interning at Marion Golf Club around the corner from mm-hmm. you guys uh, for Scott and I. And 
uh, earn my way. I like to always say earn my way, but there's always some luck into it, but earn my way into an assistant professional role. So I was there with Scott and I from 2003 to 2006. Uh, from there, you know, obviously time to move on. Uh, lucky enough to know Jack Truga through my twin brother. So Jack Truga just got the position of head golf professional at Shinnecock Hills. Um, so I ended up being his first hire and lucky enough to do so. Now Jack lives across the street here in Jupiter, really. my home here in Jupiter. But uh, so I worked for Jack for two years as his first assistant. And, uh, and then the opportunity at the Country Club of York. Uh, popped up. So I, at the time I was only 27 years old and, uh, you know, obviously a great timing. My wife was from York, Pennsylvania, Scott Nye, who's my, uh, who's the head professional at, uh, at Marion golf club. His prior position was the head professional at York. So I knew, knew of York, knew the ties, knew some of the members and, and, and lucky enough to obtain that position and was the head professional there for nine, nine years. And, uh, knew that that, um, could have been my end goal, but uh, just wanted to move and see different things. And, and that's when Jupiter Hills popped up and went through that process uh, not too long ago, just over a year, and started here and, and start my second year in, in a few days. <laughs> so. Right. So um, I have, for those that obviously uh, they're not going to know this, but um, you and I had had our annual interclub match between our two clubs, St. David's <laughs> and Country Club of York, uh, on a yearly basis. So I'm sure you're se- you're severely missing having the chance to play golf with me every fall, as I'm sure it was a, a highlight of your season. But it it was actually. I don't know what our record is. I, I feel like you might be one up on me, but I I don't know. We're not. You know, it's not for here. Yeah, it might be but, one up. You know, <laughs> we'll leave it at yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, so I've obviously spent some time at Country Club of York and and know the club, but talk a little bit about what York was and that type of club so we can get into maybe some of the differences between what you were doing there and what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah, York, um, you know, 1926, well, 1899 found it, but uh, 1926, old school club, you know, a club that overlooking farmland and uh, family club. Um, you know, so, you know, I would take my kids up to the pool, you know, once, you know, once I was married and had kids and not when I first started, but I would take my kids up to the pool and they really want you in train in, in, uh, entrenched in that atmosphere. They love, uh, having, uh, you know, the professionals come eat with dinner with you. It's just really a family feel and York, the town of York, York County is a family feel, but the old school club, you know, we were always, um, trying to um, touch on that Donald Ross history. It was a Donald Ross golf uh, course design. And uh, we just felt like we need to have, I always felt like we need to have more historical value. And I felt like uh, there was so much opportunity and still do opportunity Mm -hmm. uh, for that club to be the best. You know, we had such a special piece of land that you can't, you can't make it up. It's overlooking this beautiful farmland. We, we quarried our own rock on site there called quartz site. So you had these neat features that you just, you can't find, you can't mm-hmm. find elsewhere. And I uh, just thought we had a lot of uh, different items like that, that we could really expand upon and just really a special place and always have a, a fond place in my heart. But again, comparative to Jupiter Hills, it's, it's smaller. It's a little bit more quaint. We did 19,000 uh, rounds busy enough right, uh, for one golf course, but obviously a different operation than uh, this 36 hole beast that we have here in South Florida. 
Yeah. So when talking about a, a 36 hole beast, there's a lot that comes along with that. So, you know, obviously you kind of were touching on the differences from what you were used to in your experience at York. So you jump in at Jupiter Hills and it's a bigger operations, 36 holes. Uh, how big's your staff? Uh, about 35 individuals that work under me. That work mm-hmm. So it's a large staff comparative to body, probably about 18 at York. So right. about double. Right. So double the size, double the, uh, the rounds. So with that being said, what were, what were some of the challenges that you felt, you know, kind of right off the bat or that maybe you saw them coming and you knew you were going to have to address, but, you know, look back to a year ago or 10 months ago and, what did you feel like you were facing that was going to be uh, going to be a challenge for you? Yeah, well, you, you touched on one of them. Uh, I'll just kind of expand upon that. Just you know, managing a larger team. Mm-hmm. Again, we went from you know about eighteen to thirty-five, um, and it's always been important for me to uh, one give my time to my team, and I thought that that was uh, you know going through one year. That was more more challenging, you know. How do I find more hours in a day when when I have double the individuals to give my time to? Because I, you know, always wanted to help them with their careers and help them in their current positions to better our operations. So certainly, I found like that was one of the biggest challenges I had figuring it, managing my time better because there was less of it, especially at a place where our outside operations crew aren't high school students that are. PJ professionals and apprentices. I have 15 professionals or apprentices that work on my outside operations team, let mm-hmm. alone, you know, five, five assistants in the golf shop, directors, instruction, learning center. I even have professional staff um, that manages, helps manage our locker room. Uh, so that was a bit just time management and make sure that I'm engaged in their career advancement and engaged in their performance uh, here at the club. I would say the other second biggest challenge, um, that I have here. We had the uh, um, national championship here last year. So I walked right into uh, the planning of a national championship, U.S. Amateur Four Ball. Uh, we're the first club in the state of Florida to host two USGA national championships. So hmm. didn't get, you know, the summertime to prepare for that national championship. <laughs> and uh, and also those planning, the, that planning and those meetings um, did attribute to taking me away from you know the operation, the staff, um, even my visibility. So those were those were two major challenges in year one. Just you know, trying to juggle those balls like as we all do as golf professionals, trying to figure out uh, all the different hats we wear. I just had a few more. I felt like last year, and uh, however we we got through, and um, we have a great team assembled, and we we had a successful national championship. So certainly proud of those two um, scenarios. Well, certainly, and you should be proud being able to walk into that and and be part of a successful championship like that. Because as you were telling me when we we spoke earlier, it's it's not like this thing was all planned and you walked in and just kind of got an update on how it was going to go. The the planning really um, that was your role to to um, to be involved in all of mm-hmm. the planning of that, was it not? Yep. Yeah. Hosting, you know, and I've been fortunate at Marina. I was part of the U.S. Amateur. I've been involved in a lot of uh, championships. Uh, The U.S. Women's Open there at Lancaster up your way. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you have, when it's not a U.S. Open, um, when it's, it's, it's a four ball or an amateur event and the USGA does a nice job, but the club takes on a lot of that responsibility. And certainly they look to 
um, the person with the most experience in that standpoint, um, you know, the golf professional to, to help run that. So a lot of it puts on the, put it is put on the club and the committees and certainly a great learning experience for anyone involved and, uh, certainly an opportunity to shine though amongst your members mm-hmm. who are, uh, committee chairs, um, et cetera. So, yeah, a little different. It's not just uh, managing the range or uh, moving out of your offices. It's it's deciding where they're parking, how you're going to handle security, EMS, et cetera, and so forth. So, a wonderful, wonderful experience. And uh, I was lucky. I had uh, Joe Starenka, who's the past CEO of the PGA of America, which we just had a little uh, transition to Seth Waugh, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Mr. Strike actually has a lot of experience in that regard. So sure. certainly lucky to have him as my chairman of the U.S. Amateur Four Ball uh, to assist with uh, its execution. Sure. So, but you said something that I think was interesting and a really good takeaway from that was that while it was a challenge and you walked into you know kind of a bit of a firestorm of responsibility, I mean, what a huge opportunity though, as you said, then to show your membership that okay. I'm the right guy for the job. This is why you hired me and, you know, see what I can handle. Come see what I can handle. And then you execute it and you do a great job. And while it may have taken you away from your position, from the day-to-day stuff for uh, for quite some time, you still have that now under your belt as the new director of golf, showing them what you're really capable of. So, Yeah, absolutely. You had to step up and uh, you're, you're running meetings, you're... Uh, running the volunteer orientations, you're the you're the front man. You're the front man, and um, they lean on you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to shine. It's important to shine. So we were talking about you know, your background and got into you know the differences between Country Club of York and Jupiter Hills. But let's talk about take us back to you're at York. And things are going great for you. And like you said, you you were feeling like that as long as the members would have you there, you could have been there for a long time, right? And it was certainly was a comfortable place to be with that family atmosphere. But um, absolutely, you felt like there was there was maybe more out there for you. Um, there was more opportunity for you to. I don't 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 want to put words in your mouth, and you can feel free to correct sure. me. Um, but uh, or I'll just ask you what. What was it that gave you that feeling um, that that it was it was time to pursue an opportunity like this? I I think two things. Um, one, uh, now differently. I've always I guess let me let me back up a little bit. I've always been driven. Obviously, I've worked at some wonderful places, and I would always say there's few people that are more driven than me to succeed and. and I always looked at myself as I'm going to be at the, whatever the number one course in the country is, that's where I'm going to be. And that's where I'm going to be the head professional and director mm-hmm. of golf. And, um, over time, you know, priorities change when you have a four year old and a six year old now. So one of the first things I looked at was family life. You know, how can I watch my kids grow up? Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked at, you know, trying to you know manage that and maybe in Florida, my wife always said, Hey, how about Florida? <laughs> so, you know, this opportunity presented itself and I thought of that family side of it. How can I, uh, you know, better manage my time in the summer when kids are off school and, and there there's some downtime. Mm-hmm. But also the other the uh, professional ego in me and the male ego in me is I, I want I wanted to be content with where 
I was in my career and, and continue to get, gain experiences and gain knowledge within my industry. So I, um, uh, moving to, a you know, actually, uh, you know, close to a top 100, a top 100, certainly platinum club of America in Jupiter Hills was, you know, important to me and to continue my learning experience. So, um, I just felt like nine years, uh, I certainly had plenty more to give at the country club of York, but, um, I thought it was time to give my, uh, you know, pass my experiences and, and, uh, onto a new club and, and certainly add, add and grow the Jupiter Hills here. So, mm -hmm. so can you look back at anything that you were doing at country club of York or with this mindset that you had that, you know, I just, I'm always going to keep pushing. I'm always going to keep striving. Uh, was there, were there things you were doing that you think were setting you, you up? to take on uh, a bigger role at a club like Jupiter Hills? Yeah, good question. I, I do. I think at, at a somewhat a little smaller club, we had, we had 700 members there at, right. at the country club of York. So it's an active club for uh, Kevin Bales, who's there now, but mm -hmm. um, I was so heavily involved in, and I, and I think I put myself in that position um, to be heavily involved in the strategic planning and the vision for the club. I wanted to drive that. I felt like I had a good sense of where the club could go. I used to always uh, joke around if I could just jump on a safari bus and you know, have that little microphone up in the front and tell people, envision this, imagine this, mm -hmm. as I was trying to spend all their, all their money <laughs> to make <laughs> right. it better. Um, I felt like I, had a, uh, I, could help I could help the club in that way, and I was so so ingrained in that. And I think it helped me, it trained me to look at the operation uh, at York uh, and here, coming here through a different lens. I was just trained. That's how my mind always worked. It was forward thinking. It's how can I, how can I make this better, whether it be operationally or strategically? Uh, is there an operational efficiency that I can add to this scenario? And I think that's really helped me here when I have, uh, you know, more individuals to oversee a bigger piece of property that I'm walking around with. Uh, with that mindset, um, through that training at York, I wasn't just worried about uh, doing the d daily to dos. Mm -hmm. It was a bigger picture for me, it, picture for me at York because uh, there was some reliance that I was going to help that process there. So I would say that was a, that was the biggest thing. I, I, I my brain never stops from that uh, from that angle. <laughs> right. Um, so, and that's really just a, you know, that mindset of continuing to progress and, and trying to learn more and, and see what else, how well you can make improvements on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that's awesome for all of us to keep in mind because certainly easy, you know, to get, uh, especially, you know, nine years at one club, uh, easy to, to maybe overlook certain things that are happening or just accept that this is the way that we do this here, but right. awesome to keep that, keep that in your mind of how can we keep continuing to get better? How can we grow and how can we improve? All right. So obviously you had been through all the way through the interview process at Country Club of York, but it was some time ago. It was now looking at 10 years ago as we sit here today. So uh, I'm sure this process at Jupiter Hills was a little bit different knowing that uh, one, I know this was through a, a search company, right? When you did this That's correct. at yep. Jupiter Hills versus purely the club taking on the role of uh, being the search company when you interviewed at Country Club of York. That's so correct. let's say, what could you take from your interview experience here that you'll be able to kind of tell the, the people working for you that are going to go through this process? How did it help you learn more about the interview process to be able to, to give them some, 
some more feedback about how to prepare? Yeah, I think, you know, it was a different experience, certainly. Well, one, if I compare it to the first time around, I was 27 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I knew a lot of things, but I think this time around, I wasn't making it up as much. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that funny how how you look back at 27, (laughs) 28 and... We think we, we thought we were so smart back then. But. Oh, yeah, I thought I was, yeah, everything <laughs> I was spewing, I think, uh, at 27. But this time, I, I really could speak on the fact and I, uh, and I could speak about it passionately, you know, about building a culture, leading a team, our, our value statement, what's important to us as an operation, how we mandate personal responsibility through our team. Those are, those are things I could talk about because I did them. Right. And, uh, that was important to the committee, which was beneficial, obviously, to me. Um, it was they were looking to build a, a stronger team here at Jupiter Hills, and certainly that played played a role. Now, the Country Club of York, that was obviously you harder trying to sell someone to come to York, but you had to sell them on the fact that they were going to work um, for you and you're going to help them with their career. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was certainly I gained that experience. But from the interview process, working through a search for, firm, obviously. Uh, there's more legwork involved in it, you know, more essay questions, uh, more to-dos leading up to the interview process. But once you get in the room, it's 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 the same as it runs through a search committee. Mm-hmm. You're having a – I always look at it as trying to have a conversation, like you're having lunch with them. Um, but they're just going to ask you more specific questions. And, you know, obviously that, that makes everyone comfortable. You're trying to – you know, again, to have them just go back and forth, make it a conversation, not an interview. And that, that's always my goal in the room and in, in that interview process. And lucky enough, I've, I've done pretty well in those interview process. So mm-hmm. that's obviously, that's obviously worked. But it's really, again, it's really no different than a search committee. You have board members, uh, you have golf committee members that are part of that committee that care greatly about the club. They understand the history, which is obviously important for, for me to know. Before I go in there and mm-hmm. do your do your research and and do your due diligence to understand what are some of the challenges that they're going to have, and how so someone you, who is not yeah go ahead go ahead because not to cut you off there but as you you know yeah. as you're talking about doing your research and your and your due diligence how are you going about doing that no good question you're you're trying to find a member at that club that you know or mm-hmm. through friends so it's through your networks how can I get in contact. With you, know, with a member to have a you know a candid conversation through a, a mutual a relationship or a mutual mentor, whatever it may be. So luckily, uh, I have wonderful mentors, and we're able to have a couple of those conversations and mm-hmm. understand some of the things that they're you know as a member of the club they they walk it they they pull in the parking lot every day they play the golf course they see who the staff is and some of the things that maybe perturb them or some of the the weaknesses that they see. Or, or some of the grumblings they may know through the rest of the membership. So if you have that information in hand, uh, you're able to, you know, you know, plan and come up with uh, answers to those questions and a plan for success before they ask it. <laughs> right. So what else mm-hmm. are you doing then to prepare for that actual interview, the day that you sit down in front of, uh, you know, those board members? So I, I try to think about all the questions and more, more of like an outline fashion. If they mm-hmm. ask me about women's golf, what are the bullet points? So I look at bullet points. How am I going to answer that? I want to be prepared because you're trying to, you know, it's, it's, it's a job interview. If you want the yeah. job, you'll, you'll make the necessary effort to do so. So 
Uh, I'd talk to myself in the car, so I'd answer those questions in the car. They asked me about ladies' golf in any form or fashion. I'm able to circle back, even if I get stumbled, I can circle back to a base. I have a baseline mm-hmm. for that question, and I can hit my bullet points or whatever it may be. If it's about budgeting or, or team building or whatever question, it, it, I look at it as an outline. And uh, I always have something to circle back if I get stumbled. So that mm-hmm. makes me comfortable, makes me, sh- me shine at all times because I know that I can Whatever question they ask me, if I don't answer it perfectly, I can answer it in some form or fashion that certainly is acceptable in a comfortable manner. Sure. Well, obviously, yeah. you were well prepared and did a great job because uh, you're you're still you're sitting there today, the director of golf. So, I want to jump to back to something that you mentioned just kind of in passing when we were talking about the interview. But you talked about a value statement that you have for your for your staff, for your team. And I would imagine this is a big part of getting to a new club and trying to, you know, build the culture that you believe should be there. What exactly is the value statement? How'd you come up with it? Does it change over time? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I just, I, yeah, it's it's something we've done. We did at York and, uh, and I kind of started it at York and through, again, one of my mentors who does it, uh, George Hodges, actually a Marion member, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, we build it as a team together, the leadership team together, and we adjust it quarterly you know, or about so, maybe sometimes sooner, sometimes you know longer than that. So we build it together so we all believe it and, and all are ingrained in it and have a say in it. It's not just me telling them how we're going to operate. Mm-hmm. And we make adjustments to it. So we keep it in front of us at all times. Right. And there are certain things in there. And so it changes. And, I don't, and the expectation is everybody on the staff to know it and not know it you know, verbatim, just say it in their own words and understand its importance. So obviously there's things in there that talk about, you know, on a parallel, you know, golf experience, it discusses, you know, you know, prompt, efficient and personalized service. But, you know, some things that never, I've never let out of that value statement, these are, everything else can change is that we provide unwavering support of each team member, unwavering, mm-hmm. um, that we never throw each other on the bus. I would never do that to my staff out in front of any member or so forth. It may be in my office, but that never is allowed to leave. And then that we have continuous improvement uh, within our golf operation and uh, that we're committed to it and our own professional development. So those are mm-hmm. two things that, that we live by. So I always look at it uh, as, you know, do what you say you're going to do. So if we were saying it all the time, then not that I've ever been in a position to fire a lot of individuals, but I always say they end up firing themselves because mm-hmm. you said that you're going to do this. You're not going to throw another team member under the bus. And you did explain to me why. So mm-hmm. they, know, they know when they're in the wrong. So it's, it's something, uh, it's not to get anybody. It's something to, to bring everybody together and remind us of why we're here. So something I always felt it's important and, and typically works well. If you can get past that first level that people haven't seen it before <laughs> where, right. the, and where they're rolling their eyes. So yeah, I'm sure they probably think, "Oh, what did you just go to a seminar, or read a book, or something like that?" And, and now we have to do this thing. Okay, yeah, we'll do it, right? Right. I, I, you, I would, it I would depends imagine. if you live it or not. You know. Right. Yeah. You. So if they think you're faking it, then they're obviously not going to buy in. But I guess I would hope, or I'm sure you've seen that through over time. Once they know that that's what you're living every day, and uh, this is important, I would think that really helps the buy-in on that statement. Yep. Yeah, you, I think you use the word, it's just building a culture. So. Mm-hmm. 
I know that, in, and you mentioned continuous <laughs> improvement and, and development in your career. I know that's big for you. And it's obviously been a big part of your success and this, this as you said, unwavering um, development and growth throughout your career. So let's talk about how, um, how you're helping the people on your staff now. Now you have a bigger staff too, but let's say I, well, actually, before I say, let's say I get a job as a, as an assistant professional working for Kevin Muldoon. First, let's start. Let me ask you a question. How do I get a job, you know, working for Kevin Muldoon? What are, you, <laughs> you know, would what? be so lucky, Dean. I mean, I I'd hire you tomorrow. That's if you're available. I I feel I feel so blessed that he said that I'll be down there. I mean, since, since it's no hotter down there than it is here, I'll be down there tomorrow. I can get it back to all square, you know, in our match. But that's right. So, if somebody's looking, you know, for a job, really the question is, what are you looking for, you know, in in the team members that come and work for you? Yeah. Well, so for example, I've hired sixteen individuals this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so just finished through that process. The two things that I look for the most are um, those that are completely committed to their career and are driven to be the best mm-hmm. at, you know, become a head golf, depending on what position it is, but become the head golf professionals, move on and want me to help them through that process. So it's not, I don't want anybody who's waving, you know, wandering back and forth. I always feel like I can help individuals, but someone who is willing to do whatever it takes uh, for me in the operation and know that we're going to, you know, move them forward in their careers. The next thing is honestly just personality. Someone who have a conversation. We can teach a lot of things in a lot of different areas of operation, but someone who has a a nice, strong personality and understands the ability to communicate because one with the other staff members, but our, our membership. So those are the two main things. Uh, mm-hmm. that I look for everything else, everything else we can work, work through. Right. So, okay. So let's say you find somebody, they've got that drive, they've got that passion, that commitment as they, you know, um, maybe you've seen it or f- through, uh, found out from other people they work for, whatever it may be. So they get there and let's talk about how you're kind of coaching them through their careers. How does that start with you? Are you setting clear expectations of what they should be doing, the steps that they should be taking? How's that conversation start? Well, it, it would start before I hire them. So, mm-hmm. so they know it before they even come on board. So in that first conversation, that inter, you know, first or second interview, whatever it may be, they know that I expect that they're not here forever. They need to know that before they start working for me. What if they wanted this to be a, a 10-year job? Mm-hmm. It's a job that's three or four years, depending on the position. You know, obviously, if you're director of outside operations, it's a longer position. But assistants and outside service professionals, it's it's three years. I want you to make your mark at the club. I want you to give us everything you have. Give us your best. I want your best. And through that whole process, you're going to be career career and goal-driven. And we're going to talk about it all the time. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about it from day one, about where you're going to be, how, how important it is. So I always look at it as a kind of a circular equation. First, I have to show them, or really the way I put it, they have to know how much I care before they care how much I know. It's, it's a, kind of a saying mm-hmm. I use all the time. So, And I do care. And I think I'll get the best out of those uh, individuals, the multiplier effect, if they know how much I care and that I'm willing to help them in their careers. So I spend more time with the staff than maybe the members because I think 
if I put that time in my staff, the output to the membership will be will be that much better. And we'll continue to get, if they move on three years, that's okay. That's good for them. It's best for their career. We'll continue to, you know, kind of almost create a breeding ground mm-hmm. for young dr- driven assistants and our staff will continue to get better. And it'll be easier for us to, to get exceptional staff. So I just kind of put it that way. You give us your all, we'll help you in your career advancement. Um, you give us everything and then we'll do, I'll do everything I can to, to help you and, and we'll have a plan along the way. So that's kind of, that's the expectation right off the bat. So they know the timeline mm-hmm. um, and it's general, it's general, but it's passionate and it's honest. Right? right. So, but we also, you know, from as far as developing goes, I, um, and to have them be, to be better at their, their jobs and to be more career minded. Um, we meet regularly and honestly, casually, you know, I think mm-hmm. if you have those year end meetings, it's just a, an opportunity, uh, to put off communicating on a regular basis. Right. Um, so, you Agreed. know, those, those meetings can just be, just be a report from them. What challenges they are having? How can I help them do their job better? Are they moving along that career plan that we've been talking about? What areas or what weaknesses that you, are you not getting? Or, you know, from the club, whether it be responsibilities that we can help you for your next position. I'm helping you for the next job, mm-hmm. which is always interesting. Um, uh, maybe I shouldn't tell my board members that, but I do. <laughs> well, but still, I think <laughs> it, is, it is, does seem a little weird or unique to the golf industry. I think it is. I've had people tell me, I can't believe, this, you know, as you're an assistant, like you're always talking about when you're leaving your job and talking to your boss about when you're leaving your job. It doesn't happen anywhere else. But, um, but I think when you're in the right situations, you should be able to have those conversations with your boss. And if your boss doesn't want to have it, I would say you need to look for another boss, right? Right. Because you should be encouraged yep. to, to grow and 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 be working towards the next next position. So, and then as far as the and there's goes, and I think those go ahead. No, I agree. I think some of those regular conversations, um, it's kind of the it's the commitment to seeing it, them through that process and holding them accountable. So there's accountability to it. So if you have a regular meeting and you're talking about where are you with your PGA book work, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to get tired of me asking because I will ask them every meeting. Right. Every meeting. And they're going to get, they eventually want to say, yes, I'm, I'm moving along. They'll eventually want to, want to, you know, or get tired of me asking and want to say yes. So they'll do it. And I'll be the, you know, the pain in the neck. But at the end of the day, they'll look back and, you know, when they're not working for me, when they're working for the great Dean Candle, <laughs> that, uh, you know, they'll be thankful, you know, right. in some form or fashion <laughs> that I was a pain in the neck. Sure. So then I guess in a nutshell, what you, once the expectations are set and everybody's on board, then your point is that it's that regular communication that creates that accountability. You know, that I guess it's twofold. One, it creates accountability to make sure that they are doing what they say they're going to do. And then two, it creates that, that ability for you to show them that you're interested and that you care, you know, all the time rather than just saying, oh yeah, I want, I want you to do well. And then really not doing anything, you know, to help them along. Great. That's, that's, yep, that's absolutely right. Well, that's awesome. So Kevin, I just want to thank you for your time today. I know it's uh, probably going to start getting busy down there uh, as you're working your way through the summer, but I appreciate you taking some time out and talking to us about your new position. Congrats again on that. And hopefully uh, this, thank you. Hopefully your second year can be uh, 
a little more normal versus what you went through in your first year. I guess there's no <laughs> doubt it will be, but um, we wish you the best of luck down there. And, and thanks again for your time. Yeah. Th- yeah. Thanks Dean for having me on the show. I'm glad uh, that you're supporting golf business network and, and Patrick and, and his team. So I uh, appreciate you having me on the show and hope one day I'm back. Yeah. We'll catch up soon. All right. Thanks Kevin. Okay. Thanks Dean. Bye. This was the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network. Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and be sure to rate and review while you're there. For more information, go to golfbusinessnetwork.com.